The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. This is Terratech with Jim Lane. Terratech is all about the products and companies that are using substantial materials that are changing the way we dress, eat, drink, shop, and live. We are becoming a more bioeconomic society and are more aware of the products in our lives. Now, here's your host, Jim Lane. Welcome to Terratech. I'm your host, Jim Lane, for the next 60 minutes as we explore amazing stuff from everyday life that you can really make from jet fuel. Well, jet fuel, we all know what what it does. We generally know where it comes from. That's oil fields. But uh, in recent years, a new wave of companies has come through with technologies that have introduced renewable jet fuels made from nothing more complex as a material than table sugar and water or waste, traditionally headed for the landfill. However, the amazing chapter, and this is TerraTech, we always have a case of, however, there's an amazing chapter. The amazing chapter is the next one, because many of these same companies are using the same underlying technology to make flavors, fragrances, beauty creams, nutraceuticals, the Coca-Cola plant bottle, the list goes on. There's even a low-cost treatment for malaria out there from the same technology that we use to make jet fuel. And joining me this morning as we explore the materials and fuels revolution is Will Thurman. He's the CEO of Emerging Markets Online, the author of Algae 2020, also Drop-In Fuels 2020. He'll be joining us on stage next week at the Advanced Bioeconomy Leadership Conference in Washington and joins us this morning on TerraTech. Good morning, Will. Good morning, Jim. It's good to be here. Well, I it, it sounds a little like you're calling in from from uh, from outer space there, but um, in fact, you're down on, uh, I believe, in Planet Houston. Is that correct? The epicenter of this materials revolution. That's right. I'm calling in from Space City, where the, uh, we're, we're the guys that uh, produce the fuel that... Uh, uh, put uh, jets in the air and the man on the moon. Uh, and so today we're going to find about different ways of doing that besides uh, petroleum. Yeah, uh, there yeah. Used to, remember that, <laughs> remember that movie? Remember that movie a couple of years ago or many years ago? Superman 2 and, and the, uh, the villains arrive from the planet Krypton and they don't exactly know what this uh, wonderful planet Earth is called, so they called it the planet Hostin. Because that was the uh, so 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 there you are on the on the the planet Houston, and we're going to talk a little bit about renewable fuels uh, just to start with. Will we're going to kind of baseline ourselves there, then we're going to get to nutraceuticals, beauty creams, the whole darn thing that they're making. But first of all, let's let's uh, for for the listener a little bit new to this. Renewable jet fuel or jet fuel is made is really kerosene. Is that correct? The kind of stuff that you have in your uh, in your lamp when you go camping is that is that basically it? And and if that is so, why why not just use gasoline to power a jet? What's the story there? Oh uh, well, it has different uh, chemical and molecular properties that don't work as well uh, with the engines that are put into Boeing airplanes and Airbus airplanes uh, and engines that are 
produced by uh, companies like GE and, and Siemens and others. They have very uh, uh, specific specs for those. Uh, the kerosene is, is uh, denser and has higher energy density and works better for plants. Gasoline is, uh, is better for automobiles. But gasoline can be, has been and is used in uh, smaller aircraft. Uh, so uh, think of puddle hoppers and, um, uh, and just uh, single prop planes. But it's mostly uh, different versions of kerosene for uh, industrial and commercial flights. Okay, so you're gonna you're gonna have kerosene, and it's a it's you know traditionally made from uh, distilled from from petroleum, and the goal has been to create a renewable jet fuel. From an airline's point of view, what is um, what are the prospects? First of all, for completely alternative technologies, we saw the solar plane uh, traverse the go- the globe uh, recently. I think it took about six months to do it, but. What, um, you know, do electric planes, is that a solar plane? Is that, is that something we're going to see in the jet, uh, in the skies above us uh, anytime soon or at an airport near you? Or are we uh, looking at, at these dense liquid fuels for some time to come? I think it's going to be the latter, uh, Jim. It's, you know, the solar plane uh, it, uh, was a nice test, but, it, uh, but uh, solar-powered planes and battery-powered planes uh, don't have uh, enough uh, power to uh, carry loads of uh, human passengers and, uh, and uh, loads for commercial cargo and, and for um, military and industrial cargo. So we're going to be seeing uh, liquid transportation fuels uh, uh, used in uh, from petroleum and from bio-based uh, fuels uh, uh, until we can figure out a way to, to get to hydrogen uh, for those and uh, just uh, uh, on, a, on a side note, uh, our space shuttle program uh, was run on hydrogen. And that's a multi-billion-dollar uh, program. So it's going to take a while before we get from petroleum-based fuels to hydrogen-based fuels uh, for transportation. And the intermediate uh, will be uh, intermediate step will be from uh, bio-based fuels and potentially from natural gas to liquids. But those are actually more expensive than biofuels. So we're seeing this as, as the interim until we can get to the space shuttle status for hydrogen for commercial flights. And that's going to be a while. So uh, I think biofuels are the, is the answer now. And uh, as we're coming down the cost curve, uh, we're going to see, we're seeing more and more uh, flights with commercial airlines. Now, when it comes to a carbon regime, let's say an, you're an airline and you're taking off in the United States and the U.S. has one set of carbon regulations. Now, you might fly on a flight into... Uh, Korea, you might find yourself flying over Japan on the way, so you're going to be emitting some carbon over Japan. Theoretically, the Japanese may want to take a, a view on that, and then you're going to land in Korea, where they might have a third uh, carbon regime. Is that is that part of the reason why the airlines are getting pretty uh, uh, hot in the search of these renewable jet fuels to uh, simplify their their regulatory problems? Absolutely. Uh, it- but we're not seeing a universal standard for uh, for, for aviation emissions. Uh, so when you go fly from the U.S. into the EU, uh, some countries have uh, their aviation uh, emissions uh, penalties, and others do not. Uh, you can say the same with Canada, or you say with with Asia. So it depends on the on the country and and uh, whether or not they signed on to some uh, form of international treaty or standard. So this makes it a big problem for companies like United Airlines and uh, American Airlines. 
uh, how do they deal with that? Uh, what are they going to do um, with this patchwork of regulations? It's very frustrating for them to understand, uh, to, to put them together, especially for flyovers. Um, and yeah, the world, it's, the, from a logistical the, standpoint, it's, it's difficult. So they, so they need to find a, find a way to, uh, uh, to, to get through the, uh, the regulatory landscape, and, uh, and, and, uh, which is less uh, complex. You know, Franklin Roosevelt used to talk about the four freedoms, which I think were freedom from want, fear, and freedom of religion and freedom of expression. And But in the airline industry, they have seven different types of freedoms. And these are freedoms to sell tickets, freedoms to fly over, freedoms to land, all kinds of things that airlines have to pursue in order to get the ability to fly where they want to fly. You can't just, you know, pop up into the sky. As we saw with the uh, uh, an airliner that was shot down uh, you know, not not all that long ago. Um, so so here's an eighth freedom that they're going to have to uh, pursue, which is the freedom to emit. And so that's going to create issues for them. And so they're looking for alternatives. Now, renewable uh, jet fuel, can that, uh, you know, can, can that really significantly reduce their carbon exposure in the near term? How, how, how good is it? Uh, well, it's, uh, the renewable jet fuel companies are going to need to produce uh, significant volumes to uh, to make a difference uh, in in the commercial marketplace and, and reduce the, the amount of carbon uh, and pollution that is emitted from from airlines. Uh, where we're seeing some traction is uh, in places like uh, like California and in Europe on the short hop flights, where uh, these aren't the big inter- intercontinental flights, but they're just between cities. So um, something like between uh, uh, Rotterdam and London, or or between Berlin and Barcelona. Uh, on those flights, uh, with with KLM, we, we see that. So the, on the short flights, it, it's more feasible to take something like a restaurant grease right through a refinery process, uh, put it in a, in a plant at a, um, say a five percent blend, and you can go. Uh, but we're going to need more feedstock and um, uh, and higher volumes and lower cost to to realize the goal of reducing aviation uh, emissions through uh, renewable jet fuel. Now, you mentioned restaurant grease as a, as a source. Um, what are the other leading sources that might be on, on the waste side? Um, let's, let's start there, and we'll get, to, we'll get to some of the other sources as well. Okay. Uh, well, we're looking at the sources of uh, you know, feedstocks. Where does this biojet fuel come from? Um, uh, traditionally, what we've seen is you take vegetable oil, uh, say soybean oil, uh, canola oil, um, and uh, leftover oil, used cooking oil, uh, and those can be run through a refinery process and, and uh, through a biorefinery or uh, petro-refinery process with a catalyst and produce jet fuel to spec. Um, we've also seen it with algae, and that's been done in several commercial flights and also in, uh, in, in many military flights. Um, and uh, so that, that's been done. Uh, those and, and tests. Um, when you when you look at uh, at corn, we do have an abundance of corn and, and corn starch. Uh, and what we're a very interesting thing that we're seeing come to fruition now, and we're going to see this next week at, at the event, the Advanced Biofuels Leadership Conference in Washington D.C. Lenditech is one of the companies that's going to be talking about alcohol, the jet fuels from um, <clears throat> from different sources. Uh, one is from uh, emissions from steel plants, carbon emissions from steel plants. Another is a company called Jivo, and uh, they can produce ethanol uh, from corn, but they can also produce jet fuel um, from 
uh, from corn. Uh, there are other companies out there that are, are ethanol producers and butanol producers uh, that can can use uh, a large amount of corn that's out there and and, uh, and produce jet uh, fuel. So I think that is the uh, if you look at it from a feedstock perspective. Where do we have an abundance of, of low cost feedstock that can be a benefit to uh, to airlines that that they're are urgently needing uh, a, a larger quantity of fuels to comply with these regulations? They're going to be looking at where are the feedstocks um, and um, uh, that are available, reliable, and affordable, and of course, sustainable. The Sierra acronym, so sustainable, uh, available, reliable, and affordable. And as you look at, as you compare these different feedstocks between uh, restaurant grease, vegetable oil, uh, corn-based alcohol, the jet fuels, and algae, uh, I, I think we've we've gone through the first uh, two uh, successfully. We're we're getting uh, we're starting to get into these emerging market for alcohol and jet fuels. Um, and uh, algae is going to take some time, but we'll get there. It's just, it'll be uh, longer than we anticipated, than the government and uh, has anticipated. So I think so, the next horizon is going to be an alcohol jet fuel simply because uh, it, of uh, the feedstock abundance and um, availability challenge to the airlines. Now, we have a company, Terravia, that uh, was one of the providers uh, when the U.S. Navy was testing um, algae-based fuels. They were getting it from Terravia, and they were um, uh, as far back as 2012. Now, now Terravia has has come back and evolved quite a bit, uh, Will, in terms of, uh, first of all, they changed their name. They originally were known as Solazyme, and originally they were going to grow algae in an open pond. Uh, very much like how algae grows in nature. Then they changed to more of a photobioreactor uh, technology, or at least a fermenter, let's say, that would look more like something you would use in winemaking. And they throw the algae in there, and the algae eat the sugar, just like yeast eat, eat sugar, and they and they then make um, uh, make a target uh, product. So Terravia discovered that they can make a lot more than just uh, jet fuel, and some of that stuff is at a very high price and has a very high demand. What kind of stuff does do companies like Terravia end up making? Well, that's a, uh, interesting to see that, Jim, because uh, a lot of these companies that uh, started off with the mandate, either through uh, the government for uh, uh, defense aviation fuels uh, or in the commercial markets um, for commercial tests, um, have diversified from their initial mandate and focus on uh, uh, let's say algae for fuels uh, or different kinds of um, biofuels, and uh, they're which are uh, as a small enterprise, uh, they have to produce a large amount of it um, uh, to to make a profit because these generally come in at somewhere between you know, three and, and five dollars a gallon to be competitive, um, and, uh, and then you ha- then your investors come to you and say, hey, uh, we have some. Uh, we have an idea. Let's produce a, let's say, cosmetics or facial cream or, or lipstick um, uh, or some uh, some type of a uh, culinary oil for where uh, instead of $2 a gallon, we can produce that for up to, say, $50, $100 per gallon. Why don't we do that? And what we saw over time is these the small enterprises, uh, such as such Terabia and uh, Amaris and, and Jivo, uh, that are, were successfully able to uh, run uh, 
dozens of uh, of test flights and and and, and additional commercial flights. Uh, there was pressure on them from investors to say, uh, given our existing resources and infrastructure, and given our existing things where where we can ferment fuels uh, and and industrial fermenters using algae and corn and sugar, as as we see see what Caribbean formerly Solazyme, uh, Jivo, and Amaris. Uh, that uh, using that existing infrastructure, uh, you can produce these. Uh, you, you can produce uh, a product for fifty hundred dollars per gallon rather than than five dollars per gallon, and that's the rub. That's that was the departure point we saw somewhere between two thousand nine and, and twenty twelve, where uh, the the companies started portfolio strategies so that they could produce, they could diversify and produce other products at higher value, so they could. Uh, monetize their enterprises and grow in scale and, and not just be dependent on one market. So uh, it is to them, uh, I think these companies should be congratulated for what they're able to do uh, in the jet fuel space uh, from demonstration projects. Uh, and uh, the commercial realities uh, have shown us that portfolio strategies and diversifying beyond jet fuels into other markets um, is more beneficial uh, to the commercial enterprises not necessarily so much for uh, government mandates and defense mandates. Well, uh, we're going to take a short break here, Will. When we come back, we're going to not only look a little bit more at Terravia, we're going to look at companies like Evolva and Helia, uh, Amaris, Virant, uh, companies that are not necessarily in the headlines today, but could well be in the headlines shortly with their flavors, fragrances, beauty creams, advanced foods, and a lot more. We're exploring today amazing stuff for everyday life that you can really make from jet from jet fuel so stay with us stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast all the time the number one internet talk station where your opinion counts voiceamerica.com TerraTech is brought to you by the Advanced Bioeconomy Leadership Conference, March 1st through 3rd in Washington, D.C. Technology Convergence, Energy Security, Advanced Manufacturing, and Clean Economy Jobs. The RFS, which is Renewable Fuel Standard, is an important tool in the mission to achieve energy independence for the United States. Energy independence is a requirement of America's to become great again. My theme is Make America Great Again. I will do all that is in my power as president to achieve that goal. combination of biology and uh, the technologies coming out of IT is really what's going to drive some amazing... The oil new- prices, yes. The story on um, everyone's talking about. But if the U.S. can prove that next-gen biofuels works and that you know, other technologies work like DME and, and really great kind of biogas vehicles, then they can export that. The thing that really is exciting is this convergence. To learn more, visit biofuelsdigest.com slash ABLC. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. You are listening to Terra Tech. 
To reach Jim Lane or his guest today, call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to Lane at biofuelsdigest.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to TerraTech. I'm your host, Jim Lane. We're exploring today amazing stuff for everyday life that you can really make from jet fuel. And joining me this morning and continuing as we explore the materials and fuels revolution is Will Thurman. And Will, we were right before the break, we were talking a little bit about TerraVia. And one of the products that has come out of the TerraVia shelf, in addition to jet fuel, which they make from algae, is uh, they have started with... Um, uh, doing quite a bit of algae flour, so you can have algae-based cookies using the same technology and and uh, nutritious breads um, made from the same underlying technology that we use and the same organism basically that we use to make uh, to make jet fuel. That's that's algae. So they make it in a fermenter. So they're making flour in a fermenter. Is that uh, is that a uh, an application that you think is going to have a big market and take off, or is that more of a boutiquey thing that we're going to see only at a Whole Foods? How does that how does that work? Teravia's whole algal flour. Okay. Uh, well, a lot of people when they think about algae, they think it's just oil. They're using oil for for fuel. Uh, or uh, but algae is a lot like corn uh, or soybeans, where uh, it has. Uh, it has uh, fats, it, uh, carbohydrates, and proteins, and the oil is in the fat portion. Uh, but and when you extract the oil, uh, you're left over with uh, proteins and carbohydrates. And so a lot of these algae companies and, and biofuels and aviation fuels, uh, like Teravia, Farmer Solazon, uh, have looked at the, started looking at this quantity. What do we do after we extract the oil and we use it? And uh, and they look at the carbohydrates. Uh, fraction and they look at the protein fraction and the carbohydrate fraction is, has gone into the flowers that you're talking about. Um, now these markets uh, currently are are the small specialty markets uh, where, where you see it sort of GNC nutrition stores and, and uh, just starting to enter the Whole Foods. I think as the United States population um, and, and the baby boomers start to retire and they become more health conscious, they're going to make better choices. They're making better choices about what they eat. So uh, in terms of carbohydrates and, and flowers, they're going out looking for alternatives to, to your traditional flowers. Uh, so those that are uh, you know, low in sodium uh, have a better uh, uh, nutritional profile, um, uh, better types of, of carbohydrates. And, and uh, organizations like uh, Teravia and Amaris and others can make designer foods and, uh, and designer molecules and fuels for that. And that's what we're seeing uh, from uh, Teravia, uh, and, and they are focusing on this uh, growing nutrition uh, market and specialty nutrition market for uh, for these kind of flowers. So they got Algavia, which is their their food ingredient. That's their their flower ingredient. Then they have Algawise, which is their algae oil. That's an ingredient, so you can buy Algawise and use it, you know, to make something that uh, it'll be an ingredient on the back. But they also have Thrive, which is a culinary algae oil. So I guess you can use that in salad dressing. Is that um, is that the way that you would use a, an algae oil? Would, could you actually pour it on your salad, a, something like a culinary algae oil? Yes, yes Jim. Uh, you can do that. And I actually did that uh, just last week with the family here. And, uh, you know, I'd, my first uh, experience with Solozyme was uh, driving around with their founders in a, in a car uh, based on algae fuel. And that was... Ten years ago, uh, so it's it's very interesting. I waited until 
Uh, well, we could go to try their nutritional oils, but uh, but they're good. Uh, they have nice flavor. Uh, oh, not much of a flavor uh, compared to other traditional algae oils that are have sort of a fishy taste. Uh, and I tried it. I liked it. It was good. It's somewhere. It's something like canola. It doesn't have uh, uh, the aroma or the flavor that you'd have in olive oil. What I've heard from chefs is that because of its uh, sort of neutral flavoring, um, they're able to use it in a lot of different recipes. And um, so it's interesting. You know, when you go to mom and pop's house and they're 80 years old and they're using uh, the oil, you know, uh, that they're, there's these companies like Tower Beer are making progress. So you, so you have a, a case uh, in the future, perhaps, we'll have a jet where the, what's coming out, uh, what's powering it is the, uh, is the jet fuel. And there you are in your nice uh, economy seat. And you're having a nice uh, salad that you've ordered, and and you've got this uh, a similar kind of oil, uh, and and perhaps your bread is going to be made with algavia. So it's a uh, it's like one stop shopping for someone like Terravia. What about this um, Alga Prime? They have this DHA. What is DHA uh, in everyday uh, for the everyday uh, consumer? What what is DHA and what does it do? Oh, my reference to DHA comes from um, from Martech and DSM. And uh, which has used DHA for baby food formula, uh, and um, the DHA ingredient is very useful when, uh, for infants in their an infant formula for the development, for brain development, uh, and and those type of things. So, as far as I understand it, it, it it's it's very used, it's very useful for uh, for infants and, and for uh, brain growth and brain brain cognition. And we're also seeing DHA, algae-based DHA. Uh, uh, going into the animal feed markets and being used for um, uh, you know, for chickens and, and and pigs and those things, just for the for the infants and for the hatcheries and, and for fish. So it's very interesting. But it started uh, one of the one of the bigger reference points in the industry would be uh, with Martech, uh, which was purchased by DSM for about a billion dollars in cash several years ago, uh, because they're uh, they would be able to produce a molecule that's not available uh, in in nature, except for through. Um, so, so we also have this product, Will, that we also have this product called Alginist, which is a, uh, a skin cream line, and it's a it's a health and uh, or a health and beauty product uh, sold at you know uh, Sephora stores and and other places where also I think on on the Home Shopping Channel. Um, the home shopping network. So uh, uh, an everyday product, uh, pretty high price though. I see it, you know, fifty dollars in North for one of these little tiny bottles, which is what you pay for these kinds of things. Uh, but very profitable for companies like Terravia. Is that um, is that another another winner in your eye, or is that a, a boutique product that will help them along the way towards uh, bigger success elsewhere? Uh, I think it's one of the the, the latter. It's, it's one of the boutique products that, that will help them to get started and. Um, we're seeing with these companies like Terry and, and Amaris and, and others is that they're they're looking at the higher value things where they can they can produce at fifty dollars per gallon as they would make their as they scale up their enterprises and they're able to get the economies of scale and the cost down in their march towards five dollars a gallon and uh, and two dollars a gallon for fuels. That's a good starting point uh, for for the startup companies that need to generate cash and and, and cash flow and start getting customers and, and brand identity. Uh, so that's, that's a good starting point. But these are limited emerging markets, so uh, they need to diversify into in other places where they'll be able to grow. Now, well, let's let's turn to another company that's in the space, uh, Virat, which is um, 
which was founded in 2002. So it's been around a while. It's based in Madison uh, near the uh, university complex there. It's now a subsidiary of Tesoro, which uh, most people would know as the uh, oil refining company that uh, has uh, Tesoro uh, uh, locations for refueling around uh, the country. They've also received investment from a wide variety of companies like Honda and also more recently from the Coca-Cola company. So they've been making jet fuel um, also with another uh, primary investor of theirs, which is Shell. And so they've been developing a, a jet fuel technology for quite some time, and they they have a pilot plant that produces that for certification purposes. And they do upgrade that with the ATJ process, the alcohol to jet that you've been talking about earlier in the program. But they're also getting well-known for producing the Coca-Cola plant bottle, which they're doing in, in partnership with Torre and with uh, Coca-Cola. Tell us a little bit about the plant bottle. Yeah, well, um, what Byron discovered in, it, in their technology process is they're not only able to produce uh, jet fuel, but they're able to produce xylenes, benzenes, aromatics, and those type of things that can be used uh, to uh, produce plastic bottles that have traditionally been used to produce plastic bottles. So these are drop-in chemicals that can be used in existing manufacturing processes, like you see from Coca-Cola. And that's one of the reasons why they've been interested in, in Byron. And traditionally, you know, companies like Shell would sell it uh, to them. And now uh, Shell sees an opportunity through Byron to produce these uh, these chemicals uh, that, that can be dropped into existing uh uh, plastic bottle manufacturing facilities. Now, in the case of in the case of Shell, they've been pursuing with Virant a completely different sort of supply chain than what we've been talking about earlier, where we talked about uh, sort of waste oils and greases and uh, some plant sugars that come from, let's say, corn or perhaps some oils that come from soybeans. In this case, Shell is looking for what are called cellulosic, uh, which are the leftovers left on the field after you harvest things. There's a whole bunch of waste on the field, some of which the field needs for rejuvenating, replenishing uh, the nutrients into the soil, but a lot of it, uh, it doesn't need and actually uh, creates uh, some some dicey conditions on the soil uh, for growing stuff. So they need to remove that. They don't want to put it in the landfill. So so uh, Shell's figured out, is figuring out a technology with others uh, to use that as a front-end raw material for virant's process. So, so the dream there appears to be taking, uh, rather than taking uh, uh, a material that could be used in the food supply, taking something like the corn stover left on the waste left on the field after harvest and turning that not only into, uh, w- into a jet fuel, but also into these plant bottles. So is it, is it possible to have this sort of chain where we take carbon from the sky and make a plant Use the plant for food. Use the waste to make the the bottle. Is that is that a uh, is that a reality or is that a more of a dream at this point? Uh, that was a dream. I think about ten years ago, um, and it would something you could talk you talk to chemical engineers to say, yeah, you can do that, but it's expensive. What we're saying now is, yeah, you can do that, and the costs are coming down, and we can get we can start to get the stuff out of the market. Uh, so it's happening now. Is the um, what's the motivation for that? Is it um, the sustainability drivers, are they, are they being pushed because of the need to comply with uh, various carbon regulations? Are they feeling a consumer pull, let's say, over on the chemical side, uh, demand for these skin creams or, or other types of products like the plant bottle? Um, or is it simply the opportunity to make some money, a commercial profit? Is it compliance, consumers, or commercial profit? What, uh, what are the drivers, or, or is it all three? 
I think it's two out of three right now. Um, and a bit, I think it will be three out of three. Uh, so the first two um, that are, are, are the pull markets. Uh, the, com- the consumers want it. They want plastic bottles. They want better nutrition. And, um, and the commercial markets, there's commercial opportunity there. So those are the, the market pull. They're pulling them in. People say, we want, there's a demand for this, so we're going to produce this commercially. And then there's the push markets, which are uh, our mandates, uh, federal mandates and, and international mandates. So a federal mandate in the United States would be the renewable fuel standard. Uh, a state mandate would be the low-carbon fuel standard. Um, what we've seen with the, uh, with the Paris agreements um, is, is we're starting to see uh, more compliance with uh, the low-carbon fuel standard and low-carbon products, uh, replacing the entire barrel of petroleum for all different kinds of stuff, chemicals and fuels and products. Uh, with bio-based products. So the primary driver is the, the pole-based, which is consumer demand for plastic bottles and for better nutrition. Um, the secondary uh, driver w- would be from, from mandates, uh, which, are, which would push these kind of things out in the market, uh, where a regulation is established in companies like Shell or British Petroleum uh, or, or Chevron or, or Exxon have to comply. And that's why, and we're, they're anticipating that to happen. Now, we've seen it happen in, in the renewable fuel market with the renewable fuel standard, but we're not yet there with the renewable chemical standard um, on a federal level, as far as I know. Uh, so uh, what, we're, what we're seeing, whereas you know, renewable fuels have been more of a, a market push uh, by regulations to where there's compliance involved, um, and they have to figure out how to get in the commercial markets and make it work. This is uh, this is more um, consumer based, where the consumers say, "Okay, uh, we want this, and uh, we'd like to get it now." And then you can go to uh, almost any any store down um, uh, where you can buy your sodas, and you and you have a choice between the regular Coca Cola bottle and the one with the green little green label on it that said, "Looks like it's recycled." So it's here now in the market, and uh, that's growing. That's what the consumers want, uh, and. All you have to do is turn on the TV or look at the news to see how much plastic is 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 uh, it's just piling up in uh, waterways and choking our waterways and rivers and, and streams and, and um, affecting animals, um, uh, you know, the birds and turtles and, and those things. So uh, those really pull up the heartstrings of people and, and they they want to change. They want something different and they're willing to pay a little bit more for it. Now, Will, we've seen some other companies leap into this uh, plant bottle revolution, not only looking for bottles, but also just the plastics, the underlying plastics. I want to ask you a little bit about, we saw in the news that uh, Heinz has been active in these kinds of consortiums. They, they joined the plant bottle group with Coca-Cola, and, and one of their targets is to make a renewable ketchup bottle. But they have a new technology coming along as well that they're developing, which is going to make the inside of the bottle apparently a lot more slippery so and the benefit there is that all the ketchup will come out instead of leaving you know what you know a tenth or two tenths of the uh, 20% of the product gets left in the bottle you throw it away it becomes a waste in a landfill and then you have to go and and buy a lot more so so a couple of these uh, uh, technologies are about reducing carbon and you know, changing the, our our pathway to being more sustainable. But sometimes they have functional advantages. Is that um, is that something that we should be looking for as well in terms of why companies are coming to the space? They see 
better materials possibly from renewables. Is that uh, is that a one-off, or are we going to see possibly more novel materials coming forward with superior properties? Yes. Um, we're, we're seeing a lot more of that now. Um, we're going to hear more about it next week at uh, the Advanced Biofuels Leadership Conference. And uh, these are uh, our bioproducts that are, are being produced uh, for performance and uh, uh, rather than just based on price or based on consumer demand. Uh, so if they have better performance characteristics than, than your typical uh, drop-in chemicals, or if they are, are novel chemicals that can do something different than it's already out there in the market, they're going to be in greater demand. Before we come to the break, Will, I just want to ask you about one of the most unusual investors that we've seen in this particular uh, space, and that's NASA. Um, they've been very, very active with algae development and a whole bunch of other things. And, and what the NASA researchers tell me, and you, I, I like your comment on this, is that they're very, very interested in these kinds of technologies because they know that when they go to outer space, they are not going to be able to come back and get spare parts. They'd like to be able to 3D print them, but they need to make the resins. They can't you know, take the resins with them either. They want to be able to make things on, let's say, Mars or other places uh, that they explore. And CO2 and, and water uh, are apparently, you know, obviously a lot more abundant than uh, aromatics on the surface of Mars. So um, do, you, uh, do you see that as a 50-year-out uh, a kind of effort from NASA or in 2030? You know, just quickly, 30 seconds. When they go to back to uh, the moon and to uh, Mars in the 2030s, um, are these kinds of technologies going to be going with them? Yes, they are. Uh, and they're going to be need to produce something that's renewable in space. Uh, and they'll be able to, to receive uh, genetic code and DNA uh, to put into a printing machine uh, based on a renewable bio-based material to produce, uh, basically recreate uh, a colony in, in space and in Mars. We're going to come back. Uh, we're going to take a short break. We're going to come back. When we're going to continue looking at amazing stuff for everyday life that you can really make with, uh, with jet fuel. We're going to look at companies like Evolva, Helia, Amaris, and a lot more. Uh, Will Thurman's going to come back after the break, so stay with us. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Terratech is brought to you by the Advanced Bioeconomy Leadership Conference, March 1st through 3rd in Washington, D.C. Technology Convergence, Energy Security, Advanced Manufacturing, and Clean Economy Jobs. The RFS, which is Renewable Fuel Standard, is an important tool in the mission to achieve energy independence for the United States. Energy independence is a requirement of America's to become great again. My theme is Make America Great Again. I will do all that is in my power as president to achieve that goal. combination of biology and uh, the technologies coming out of IT is really what's going to drive some amazing... Oil new- prices, yes. The story on everyone's talking about. But if the U.S. can prove that next-gen biofuels works and that you know, other technologies work like DME and, and really great kind of biogas vehicles, then they can export that. The thing that really is exciting is this convergence. To learn more, visit biofuelsdigest.com slash ABLC. 
Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus, topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. You are listening to Terra Tech. To reach Jim Lane or his guest today, call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to Lane at biofuelsdigest.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to TerraTech. I'm your host, Jim Lane. We're exploring today amazing stuff for everyday life that you can really make from jet fuel. And joining me this morning as we explore the materials and fuels revolution is Will Thurmond. And Will, we've been talking about companies like TerraVia Environment, making everything from the plant bottle to nutraceuticals, using the same technologies uh, to make jet fuel as well as flour and culinary oils that you can use on your salad. Now, along comes a company like Amaris. And Amaris is a technology that, that originally began out of uh, some labs in Berkeley, developing an anti-malarial, and it's a, it's a treatment for malaria for low cost because it's been very, very expensive for that. It's been one of the holdups in, in uh, treating malaria around the world. They got a whole bunch of uh, investment for that technology from the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and ultimately spun off all the other applications into a company called Amaris. Amaris does make jet fuel, but they're getting into some of the same markets as Terravia. They're making uh, some some beauty products and skin creams and and a whole bunch of stuff. What's um, what do you like about and what's most interesting to you about Amaris technology? Uh, well, Amaris and and, uh, uh, and Terravia, which formerly Solazon, are sort of similar uh, in many aspects, uh, with the exception of of their. Um, uh, the technology. So uh, they're using fermentation systems. Uh, they're feeding them sugars, and uh, they're producing fuels. Uh, and they also a portfolio of products, including lubricants, uh, solvents, polymers, um, uh, for amorous isoprene, uh, for uh, terabytes, more of the food applications. Um, and uh, so they have a diversified portfolio of what they can do beyond uh, just uh, jet fuel. And, and uh, so renewable diesel and, and jet fuel, what we're seeing Amherst is doing the total. I think one of the advantages they have is um, they've been able to, um, through their partnership with Total and getting into Brazil, they've been able to um, uh, to establish facilities. Uh, they've been able to um, uh, they have partnerships with their companies for for lubricants, for solvents, uh, for um, uh, using their their farnesine, uh, uh, which is their product, and uh, upgrading that into other types of products. Uh, so they do have some key advantages in the field. Uh, one thing, one buzzword we heard a couple of years ago, which is still relevant today, is a platform. They have a platform technology for producing uh, a lot of these different types of products. And uh, as we saw at the ADLC Next conference in San Francisco, uh, 
uh, John Milo, the, the president, uh, there are uh, a few companies in the San Francisco area which are using that platform technology to get at and uh, produce designer molecules for different, app- different applications beyond just you know, how can you replace uh, the whole barrel of oil and, and all the chemicals that are, are produced from petroleum. So it's interesting to see them expanding beyond the um, the petrochemical, biochemical space into uh, sort of advanced uh, things, uh, materials, and um, applications for uh, getting back to their roots, uh, which is uh, what the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation um, focusing on malaria for drugs and drug applications. And we expect to see more of that happening in the future. Uh, if that was the original intent from the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, it also was the original intent with Sapphire Energy, the big um, algae company. Uh, so we're seeing a lot of them uh, diversify in, in these big markets, but also return back to the roots, which is how can we use this for beneficial applications in, in the healthcare sector and also um, for um, treating diseases and and, uh, and a little bit of uh, sort of social engineering uh, in, in a good way to uh, prevent diseases. Yeah, they, they have um, made a lot of progress on flavors and fragrance. And I, I read a statistic uh, recently, or somebody from Amherst sent me the statistic, I'm sure they did, that 160 million people around the world have touched, tasted, or experienced an amorous ingredient in some form to date. Now, that's good news because that's a gigantic number of people, and yet the company is still reasonably small. They, they operate a 20 million gallon per year uh, fermentation complex down in Brazil, so they're able to touch um, quite a few people with that. And that speaks to this uh, small volume but high value market thesis that you've been advancing, uh, that you can touch a lot of people, but the... But the volumes don't seem to add up very, very quickly unless you're making things like um, bulk chemicals and fuels. Is that um, is that the challenge for a lot of these companies to make uh, to get out into the uh, uh, where, where they can not only make high value, uh, high margin products, but make something in bulk? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the, one of the key things that I've seen uh, working on this continuing study. Uh, with my company, Emerging Markets Online, and uh, this is called Drop-In Fuels 2020. We're also looking at drop-in chemicals. And what I've seen looking at, at, at the algae companies, um, starting with the focus on biodiesel and, and looking at all the different things that they're making, um, it is almost universal for many of the winners of the Department of Energy contracts, um, grants, and, uh, and startup companies that are involved in the space uh, that are wanted to initially focus on, uh, on fuel. <laughs> um, and so, uh, their, uh, I think their key focus is, is how can we uh, monetize the operation? You know, it's a startup company. You need to make money. You need to pay the bills. You need to pay your employees. And you need to pay, pay back your investors. Uh, so if you come to them with a proposition that we're going to make something for $50 a gallon rather than $5 a gallon, that's going to be more attractive to investors. That will help your enterprise uh, grow. And, uh, and as the enterprise grows and gets bigger and bigger, uh, you can get into these um, – lower value uh, markets. So you're getting down from the $50 markets down and into uh, you know, the, the $30 markets, the $20 markets. So, so you're going from these, you know, the highest value markets in pharmacy and specialty chemicals, then you're getting down into these middle markets for um, uh, nutraceuticals, specialty chemicals, omega-3s, omega-6s, and then you get down to the lower uh, middle value markets, which are uh, livestock, um, 
and uh, livestock feeds, uh, proteins, carbs, um, and also uh, human nutrition, like we've seen with Algavia. Um, and then eventually down into uh, the biggest markets for low-value products, uh, vegetable oils, um, uh, uh, biofuels, uh, jet fuels. Um, so where we are today is uh, somewhere between uh, the, the nutraceutical markets, uh, omega-3s, those things, getting more into uh, the very high end of human nutrition and um, the higher end of uh, livestock feed, and also the, the higher end of the, the chemical spectrum, biochemicals, um, things like flavors, fragrances, um, and eventually down into things like rubber and um, plastics and fuels. And we're seeing more and more of that. Uh, but from an enterprise standpoint, if you have a startup company uh, and you're trying to expand, you're trying to grow, uh, it's hard to go big fast from a small brewery to a, a big uh, you know, Budweiser size. And then from there, another gigantic leap up to uh, petroleum refinery size. So this stuff takes time, and they need to make money and, and pay their employees and pay back their investors so they can go to the next phase and get bigger and, and, uh, and get to these addressable markets for what they can do. So if your production cost uh, in any of these companies is, say, um, um, around uh, $10 a gallon, you're going to go into the higher value markets. And... Um, and if it's uh, below $10 a gallon, then you can start to get break into the fuel market. And we've seen that with some big leaders out in the field, such as Chivo and, and uh, ARS. And, um, and down the road, we're going to see that from organizations like Lanza Tech. You know, Will, one of the things we hear about quite a bit is um, the unintended consequences of government policy. And usually that's presented as a negative. It's certainly been a negative presented uh, in the uh, the most recent presidential uh, and congressional election cycle, the unintended consequences. Um, yet, sometimes we have positive unintended consequences. An example would be that uh, two projects I can think of that were originally funded as uh, by the Department of Defense through uh, the Advanced uh, Research Projects Administration were the Internet and uh, the Global Positioning System, GPS, which we use in everyday life. And, of course, we're using the Internet, actually, to carry our signal here today. So thank you to DARPA for uh, funding that. But this technology, Amaris, was really fostered in so many ways by uh, investment not only from the likes of the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and private investors such as uh, Vinod Koshal and John Doerr, but also with uh, collaborative uh, development projects with the Department of Energy. And, of course, energy is is seeking the jet fuel uh, component here, but we, we've talked about flavors, fragrances. You've mentioned isoprene, which is used for rubber. That's the rubber that are, is in our tires. Uh, we've talked about ethanol, cosmetics. Uh, you've mentioned some pharmaceutical things. There's an antibody uh, organism in development that they've announced a partnership for. And some food ingredients, as well as some beauty creams, their Neosance line. So all these things have come out of a collaboration that ultimately, you know, or originally started with a, a focus of making some affordable jet fuel uh, with low carbon attributes. Is this um, this proliferation, these unintended consequences, do you look at them as a side benefit or one of the real success stories of this entire wave, of this entire technology wave? I think it's, it's a mix of both. Um, yeah, I, I doubt any one of these enterprises would be able to uh, survive uh, at their current stage and, and the demo stage uh, just on fuels alone. They need to diversify in, into these other markets. 
And I think any enterprise, if they're not diversified, it's going to be tough. You know, when things go up and down, and, and you need to uh, you need to have another market to go to to uh, sustain your business enterprise. Now, looking at the uh, the intended un- unintended consequences, um, you know, when uh, when DARPA and NASA were working on on satellites and GPS. One of the unintended consequences is that we have that on our phones today. We have that, you know, I have that on my fitness watch, um, and and it's of benefit to all of us now. Another thing we've we learned through uh, discovery and science is you can be in a laboratory working on um, on jet fuel or working on um, uh, on uh, advanced uh, biofuels for the government and discover that you can produce a designer molecule that that uh, doesn't exist out there. Uh, or a designer molecule uh, from one process. So if you look at Landatech, they had this uh, in their presentation, so we'll see one next week at the Advanced Biofuels Leadership Conference from Jennifer. They have an organism that can produce uh, ethanol, uh, but their organism can also produce uh, about 20 uh, other molecules that are uh, applicable to industrial applications in the market. And the same thing goes for Amaris and Jivo and um, Teravia. So uh, there are pleasant discoveries along the way to uh, achieving uh, a mandate under a, a contract. And, and even though the mandates are, are intended uh, for their purpose, for fuel, uh, they can also uh, generate discoveries that are of great benefit to uh, consumers, uh, to society, and also uh, in the commercial marketplace where you can not just make a difference, you can make a dollar too. Well, let's mention let's mention a couple of the companies quickly before uh, we wrap up the show. We got Helier, which started as a uh, jet fuel uh, technology, was originally licensed out of Texas A and M, and it was licensed by of all families, the Mars family, famous for uh, the Mars Bar and other confectionaries on the sugar uh, sugar treat side. But also, Mars is a very big player. In fact, I think arguably the world's largest player in uh, in pet food. So they have. Um, and but they've developed with Helier. Their investment in Helier has been directed now away from jet fuel. Uh, they're not in pet food. They're making aqua feed, um, which is to say, you know, fish feed. Um, and they're addressing the uh, the the collapse of our of our ocean-based fish supplies around the world of, through overfishing. One of the problems that we have is the lack of uh, of affordable fish feed. And uh, so they're they're addressing that. There's another company out there called Evolva. It's a publicly traded company out of Switzerland. They acquired a technology called Alelix, and Alelix um, had a was uh, originally cooperating with the Navy to make jet fuel, uh, an advanced missile fuel, as a matter of fact, called JP10, which is very very. It's 25 bucks a gallon. Now they're making a product they just announced called Resveratrol, uh, which is found in red wine. But uh, it's, it's something that slows down the aging process. And we looked at resveratrol. Um, and also we've looked at uh, Nucatoni, which is another product coming out of that same platform. And uh, that's being uh, developed as an anti-Zika virus um, product. So you've got all this proliferation. Will, final comment. Where do you think this is going to go in the next five years? Are we going to see more and more products of this boutique side? Or are we going to see these guys pivoting towards uh, the big markets like bulk chemicals and fuels? Next five years. Years, um, I think we're going to see uh, them focusing on, on the specialty markets uh, for the pharmaceutical nutraceuticals and the middle markets for the livestock feed and for uh, proteins and, and for human nutrition. Uh, and we're going to see uh, more collaborative uh, uh, agreements for fuel uh, as they scale up their enterprises. 
Well, that's all we have time for this morning on TerraTech. We'll be back next Wednesday at 9 Eastern, live from the floor of the Advanced Bioeconomy Leadership Conference. And Will Thurman will be joining us uh, there. And uh, thank you, Will, for joining us as we take another dip into the changing world of products all around us. Until then, I'm Jim Lane, wishing you a great day in this new world of opportunity. Thank you for tuning in to TerraTech. Please join your host, Jim Lane, again next Wednesday at 6 a.m. Pacific Time, 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. And this week, take notice of the products in your life.